All right, live here, episode three of the Lucas Grandsire podcast. We know it's the podcast with the most creative name out there. I'm very excited about this guest today. It is, of course, Coach Mark Montoya. What's going on, sir? How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me here. Of course. I'm excited for it. You know, I'm used to interviewing like, uh, you know, MMA fighters and stuff, but I feel like coaches, they bring such a such a different perspective to everybody else because, you know, they don't see the fight game the same way, uh, you know, fighters do. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, you know, most of the coaches are, have been fighters, but when you get when you get thrust into the coaching world, it's uh it's different. Yeah, for sure. It's it's something that is is unique to the entire sport. I mean, you guys were coming off the big weekend. Did you ask to do a lot of media though? I mean, I saw Anthony Smith obviously doing a ton of media. Have you been asked to do a lot of stuff yourself? Yeah, there's there's always I always have media obligations. I mean, uh, do you like do you like it? Is it something you enjoy, or is it like you know we just got to get got to get through it, move on to the next thing? Hey, sorry, are you still there? Yep. Can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you now. I was just uh, saying sorry. for, for the for the media stuff. I mean, do you enjoy doing it, or is it just kind of something you have to sit through? No, I don't. I don't mind doing media. I think it's um, it's just part of it's just part of the the whole process you know it's something that we live in we live in a world of pro sports where where you know we have there's fans out there that obviously support the sport and and you know it's up to us to continue to give our two cents and and go out there and, and have a platform for people to be able to you know interact and have these type of shows or ask questions or you know whatever strategy for sure. Uh, you guys are coming off a very big weekend, though, with Anthony Smith. I feel like you guys uh, shut a lot of people up, you know, especially with yourself, too, because I feel like a lot of people were uh, you know, saying negative things in the past. But, I mean, do you feel satisfied coming off this weekend with uh, Anthony Smith? Yeah, I feel really satisfied. It, it's something that anytime – listen, I've been doing this for a long time. It's It's something that – when you win, everyone's saying you're great, and they want you on their shows and and all this stuff. When you lose, everyone's saying that uh, you you know you you suck and and you should never do this again, whether it's the athlete or the team or the coach or whatever. So it's part of it's just part of the territory. The the one thing that's interesting is that it's easy to say what you think should ha should happen from afar. It's hard to go do what what Anthony just went and did. I mean, he he's coming off a couple of losses. He's coming off of, you know, in 2018 being the talk of the town, and then, you know, he he goes and beats beats Gustafson in, in his hometown in in Stockholm, and then we lose a couple in a row, and you know, it's just. You know, it, it's tough to deal with. It's tough to navigate through mentally because as a fighter and, and you know, as a team and a coach, it, it's hard not to look at yourself and go, damn, what happened here? And the, the good part, though, is that one of the things that we've talked about, Anthony and I, is we have to pick growth over company. And that's something it's not easy to do. Um, sometimes when you're not successful, you start looking and, and pointing fingers and it's hard to look in the mirror. And, you know, all of us as a team have to look in the mirror and say, we know we're better than this. Let's go, let's go get the job done. And it happens.
happened on Saturday, you know, and he and he made it he made it look uh, he made it he made it look pretty easy, and and so that that just shows the skill set of of Anthony Smith and. No disrespect to Devin. I mean, the kid's a really good up-and-coming fighter, and he's someone that was absolutely worthy of being in there. It's just, you know, Anthony finally found his his swag again, and he and he was able to go out and I, you know, the the people that the people that talk about whether whether you know give me a hard time or give my athlete a hard time about, I can give two shits about. I I don't. Um, I don't put my stock into those people. Those people don't have my phone number. So um, if, if they had my phone number, then they could call me and, and explain to me their thoughts. Uh, 99% of them don't. And uh, I don't put, I, we're never as good as they say we are. We're never as bad as they say we are. We're always somewhere in the middle. So, you know, right now we're riding the high and and rightly so. We, we've put a lot of work into it. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's, I just don't put a lot of weight into or care about what other people think that aren't walking in our shoes. I mean, I feel like, especially for you guys as coaches, you receive like so much criticism. I mean, you know, as soon as they lose, everybody's starting to look at the coach and they're blaming you guys for, for a lot of things. And I feel like you got a lot of blame after the Glover to share fight. And I was curious to get your insight on this, but people were saying that you, and I believe it was James Krause in the corner with you were shouting a lot of instructions. A lot of people were saying like, Oh, those guys were, you know, talking too much and it resulted in Anthony having too much information and stuff like that. Obviously, as a coach, you know, your fighter, you know, better than everybody else, better than the media and stuff like that. What, what did you think when you heard that kind of narrative get started and, and people trying to, kind of, you know, kind of put it on you guys and sort of put some sort of blame on, you know, sort of your coaching style? Uh, the people that said that don't have a clue uh, about the body of my work. You know, I've... Um, and so I could give two shits, <laughs> to be honest with you. I don't really care what they thought about my coaching style because the same people that were saying stuff uh, the next time one of my athletes won uh, were saying that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of the best coaches in MMA again. So, um, you know, again, what which side is right? I don't care. I, I, know, I, I know who I am. I know what I, I'm about. And so do my athletes and so do the people that are close to me and pro sports is very fickle it's something that is is you're you're only as good as what happened yesterday and honestly after 24 hours they forget about you anyway so um you know and when you lose you know they want it they're trying to make headlines they want they want for people to click on their show and they want to you know they want to say this and that and um, you know, I know who my friends are. I know, I know who my family is and I know who my athletes are. Their opinions matter to me. The rest, uh, I could give two shits about. And so, uh, you, I mean, you've been at a lot of these events, right? Especially with Brandon fighting the week before, like you spent a lot of time in Vegas. I assume you guys are getting tested, you know, all the time, right? I'm hearing some people are tested like five times a day, crazy amounts, you know, for the COVID uh, how, how's the testing stuff gone for you yet? Has it has it gotten to the point where it's starting to get a, a little bit annoying? Because I know some of the tests hurt. A lot of them are uncomfortable. I mean, have you finally gotten sick of that process? Yeah, well, I guess with the testing, it's kind of just part of the process. I, I'm, I'm, I feel really blessed to be working. That's that's something that is it's been a big deal is, you know, we, it's that or no work. And so 
we have to adjust. I mean, the biggest thing is we just have to adjust to what's being thrown at us uh, with MMA. We have to adjust what's being thrown at us with uh, with COVID and all this stuff. Uh, does the testing, does the process, is does it is it annoying or is it cumbersome? Yeah, some days. I mean, but at the end of the day, I'd rather be doing that than not not doing what I love to do, and that's coaching athletes and and going and and watching them chase these dreams that they've had since they were kids. So, uh, you know, if that's the alternative, then test away. I'm I'm in. And you know, I've been tested a ton, obviously, this year since May, since uh, the UFC restarted back up. And you know, I've been I've been on the on the road almost every weekend for uh, since then. And uh, you know, I spent almost five weeks in Abu Dhabi straight when in the last stint there, I had the athletes there all the whole time. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, the, the testing protocols are different, but I'll take those testing protocols uh, over not working. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, what tests are they doing on you guys now? I know at one point it was like the nose one, which we know everybody loved. They switched to the throat. What are they doing at this point? It depends on where you're at, and typically they'll give you a choice now, whether it's the nasal or throat. And so Vegas typically does the throat. Abu Dhabi, you had a choice. And um, when you do the UFC at-home tests, they're all nasal, and they're on Zoom, and they watch you do it, and those are the ones that you send in. And Wow. Um, what's that? Uh, just wow that seems so 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 complicated being on zoom and and trying to do all that stuff yeah they send you you know they send they ship it to you and then you you take you schedule a time you get on get online with with one of the people from the ufc that are heading up uh, the covid testing the at-home testing and then they watch you personally do all of it and they watch you seal the bag and they do all that stuff. And then we ship it off and, and, and then, you know, they get our results before we ever even leave home. So that's where it starts. That one's nasal. Um, none of them I've gotten used to. Uh, it, it, so they're, they're not easy. They're not easy, but it's like I said, it's, if that's what we have to adjust to based on, uh, the protocols to be able to work. I'm, hey, I'm in. The the only two I've done so far is uh, you know the blood test, which obviously like if you're if you're fine with needles, it's not a big deal. But I did the nose one, you know, before going back to the United States, and uh, you know everybody was telling me it's a tickling of the brain. It's like you know it's a little bit uncomfortable. It, you know, let's let's you know let's tell the truth. That shit hurts. Like that was extremely painful. <laughs> I had tears coming out, you know, and the ladies looking at me like, "Are you good? Yeah, I'm fine." That that honestly it hurt. What what was it for you though? I mean, because you know, as you, the fighters, the coaches, you guys have to be tough guys, right? Like, oh, no, nah, you know, we didn't feel anything. But <laughs> was it painful when you did that one? No, most of the guys are, are choking on the, the throat one and, you know, teary eyes on the nasal one. And one of the issues is uh, I know myself, you know, I have a bad deviated septum from fighting and, and oh, yeah. training and all that. A lot of fighters have that. And uh, that that's something that you have to kind of steer around is is especially on the nasal test is hey you know you can't sometimes they'll say hey we need to do both sides of your of your nose and uh, for me for example that's not possible so uh, you know that 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 I think that's something that's been a reoccurring theme with with the testing but hey man uh, 
they're tough in the cage, but uh, when it comes to needles and putting shit up their nose and down their throat, um, I'm a baby and pussy just like the rest of them. Well, I imagine guys like Andre Arlovsky at this point, you, you have to use like a silly straw to get up in there. Like I assume you, you couldn't just go in there with just a regular swab. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I have no idea it's with him, but if he's like anybody else, it's, it's a, it's, it's an interesting deal for sure. I mean, have you get have you had any thoughts to, you know, possibly getting that fixed? I know a lot of, uh, a lot of fighters at the end of their career, they get it fixed and stuff like that. I mean, have you given it any sort of thought like that? Yeah, I've given it thought. It's just, uh, there's two reasons I haven't. I've had several fighters in the past go get that done and their results weren't amazing. And they, they actually had to get multiple uh, surgeries and and said to me after both of them said to me after they did it coach I would have if I had known that this was going to be like I would have never done it so that's been one and then two you know I I consistently train with my fighters I I train with them every day I, I'm still on the mat every day with them uh you know grappling and flow spar I don't hard spar anymore but um I still flow spar and grapple and wrestle and clinch and all this stuff with them so I'm still on the mat and I don't know I just never I never um because of those two reasons, I, I've never gone and gotten that fixed. And I, I think I've just grown used to it. So so are you are you snoring and all that stuff? Like, is that things you've had to live with? <laughs> that's a good, that's actually a good question. You know, we just, we're, as a team, we, we read a book every month. And so one of the books uh, we were, we actually just got done reading in November was a book called Breathe. Uh, it's by James Nestor. It actually talks about, a lot of these issues, you know, there's, there's a lot of, one of the things we've done over time is we've become a culture of mouth breathers. And, uh, he, he's essentially said, if you look, if you look back at our ancestors, he said that our ancestors used to chew about four hours a day because they were chewing hard food, like meats and nuts and that, those kind of things. And their jaws were wider and bigger. And the, what what happened is as as we grew and evolved and our food sources grew and evolved they became softer and so our face structure started to change and actually our our jaw started to narrow and so uh one of the reasons why we have dental issues is because of that there he he makes a an analogy in his book and says that if you go look at, at most animals most animals have straight teeth it's because their jaw has stayed the same throughout their the ancestry uh of where they are at today and so with humans we've we've actually we've actually digressed in that in that sense and what it's done is it's created mouth breathing has created a lot of a lot of issues whether it's sleep apnea snoring uh diseases those type of things and so um as I was reading this book, I was actually talking to Alex Hernandez about this. He's the one that actually uh, pointed this out to me. And, and I actually listened to James Nestor on Joe Rogan. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast. And the the whole one of the ways to help fix that is to, when you go to sleep at night, you actually put a piece of tape on your mouth. And so it forces you to breathe, inhale and exhale out of your nose instead of uh, from your mouth which stops the snoring and the sleep apnea. And at first I was like, man, this is some bullshit. Uh, <laughs> sounds skeptical. But <clears throat> I actually got into it 
read it and I was like, you know what, I'm going to try this. And so um, I've been doing this actually since uh, Alex Hernandez's fight, when, which was what, like three weeks ago. And uh, I haven't slept better, to be honest with you. And my wife's not kicking me every night uh, because I'm snoring and waking her up. So um, it's interesting that, that you asked that because that's been a new development. And, and to learn, one of the things you said is our Native Americans, they would you know, get a mouthful of water and then they go exercise. And it, it taught them how to breathe, inhale, exhale out of their nose and actually increase their cardiovascular system. And there's many, there's many um, trials that they've done with athletes, professional athletes that have learned how to do this and they've actually improved their performance big time. So um, I'm, always, I'm always up for learning and finding new ways to help our athletes grow and evolve. And, and I think that's one of them uh, based on the research I've done. So um, because I've had success with that and, and I've been sleeping great and it's actually working, um, if you came in the middle of the night, you'd see my mouth tape shut. And you'd be like, what the hell? Right. So, but, but uh, go take a look at that. Go take a look at that and do some research on it. It's pretty interesting. It's fascinating. Or anytime you start to go back towards the caveman stuff and see what the people were doing, or you figure out why the body was designed certain ways, like even the the fact that we can keep muscle if we if we continue to use it, and you know why we store fat and stuff. It's fascinating. The more you go back and look at that stuff, and then the more you see, like today, how you know we've deviated so far from that. Yeah, it is fascinating, and and you know we it's I think it's one of the most special times to be alive today. I mean, we have all the luxuries you think about. We have we have computers and that are basically our phones that we carry around. Any any information you want, you could pretty much find on YouTube or online, and and it's a fascinating time to be alive. It's and all the luxuries you could think of are, are present, and you know we're not living. Uh, looking over our back, thinking we're going to get eaten by a lion or, or a tiger or a bear or something like that. So um, unbelievable times that we live in. But uh, from our ancestors, we've really grown in the sense of, of in, a, in a, lot, a lot of good ways. But in some of those things, we haven't. And I think, like, for example, what I was just explaining about uh, the breathing via our mouth instead of our nose, that's something that that's something that hasn't been. Uh, I don't think it has been passed down or carried on through uh, very effectively. So uh, when you look back at it, you can always you know say, man, they you know they had it figured out back then. Well, I think I think we've right. this is the best time to be alive present day. But we can absolutely still learn from from our ancestors for sure, and and take that stuff and continue to grow and evolve present day because of that. 100%. I was reading something that was interesting where, they, you know, a lot of people, they think like humans, you know, if we don't have tools, we're, we're kind of useless. And I was reading that the biggest uh, thing that humans at the time had for hunting was our stamina. Like they were saying, you know, a lot of these animals are meant to run fast, but they're not meant to run long. So like, for example, we could follow a mammoth on foot for like three days and by the end of it, he's exhausted and we're still ready to go because, you know, we're used to moving that much. And it's, it's so interesting hearing stuff like that because I feel like, you know, I don't think we realize just how good you know, our cardio is, especially when we start to compare ourselves to athletes and things like that. Like, obviously, you're not going to be, you know, as developed that way as uh, maybe they are. Yeah, I think the, I, I think 
I mean, you've seen it before. I think it's called uh, subsistence hunting. Is that what it's called? Um, anyway, that where where our ancestors, Native Americans, have have pushed animals to the point to where they are exhausted, and that's how they've actually then you know killed them and consumed them so that they could survive. And so that that's something that is amazing that we are we were blessed with that type of cardiovascular tank to be able to to outlast essentially an animal like that and so um but we're so fragile man it's uh yeah. it's something that we're just we're super fragile when it comes to life i mean if a if a grizzly bear swiped you or i he would tear right through us and and yeah. it'd be game over so uh, it, it's crazy how complex and, and amazing we are, but how, yet how fragile we actually really are. Right. You mentioned that as soon as we start to compare ourselves to animals, it's like we're pretty useless. Even if you start, you know, like even if a dog, if it really wanted to, if it felt like, you know, it wasn't going to listen to what we're saying anymore. It's uh, it, it's pretty scary. But I think, yeah, that's our, our biggest tool at the end of the day is our intelligence and figuring things out and learning how to use tools. And I guess some people would say it's the opposable thumbs, too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That that's been that's been an amazing part of our evolutionary process for sure. And so I have someone here in the comments that's saying, uh, and I don't know if this is accurate, so you have to tell me. But he's saying your archery hunt in Africa was canceled this year. Asks if you're going this year. Is that is that a, is that an accurate question? Yeah, it is accurate. It's something that um, my you know I've for uh, pretty much since I was just a knee high kid i've i've always dreamt about hunting cape buffalo in africa and and i'm a big bow hunter and so um my my dad and myself my brother my brother-in-law uh we had a trip planned in march actually of this year to go to africa and and go fulfill you know just a lifelong dream and of course, with COVID, uh, that shut everything down. Like like a lot of people have this very probably similar story about things they were going to go do this year. Um, it's actually rebooked for for this coming March of next year. Uh, it, it's they're saying that it's going to be on, but you you never know until we get there. And so uh, that's something that I can't wait to do. It still feels like a dream. You know, it's not something my dad actually went last year and and he was the first one to ever go over to africa and actually hunt and and so he he had such an amazing time when he came back he's like we have to do this as a family and and so we actually booked this trip and yeah man it, it, it's something that to go to go shoot one of the most dangerous big game animals in the world with your bow is is something that uh, I don't know, man. It, it, that's what that gives me the goosebumps for sure. And I, I, I've always dreamt about doing so. I, I pray that this this next year I actually get the chance to do it. And, and so we'll see. But yeah, it did get canceled and freaking COVID, man, it put a put a damper on that. But I, I, hopefully it was just temporary delay and I get to go uh, enjoy that with my, my family and, and go fulfill one of those lifelong dreams. Now, what, what country exactly are you guys going to? uh near johannesburg okay so in uh in south africa in that case correct yep 
So, so how how does this happen? The uh, I mean, I, I imagine hunting an animal like a buffalo. You mentioned they're they're so dangerous and everything. You see them, you know, they fight lions and and you know hippos and stuff like that. But how does the the archery, you know, trying to hunt something like that with a bow? I imagine it's you know you'd imagine hitting them with like five arrows and they just turn around like something kind of scratch their shoulder or something. I mean, what kind of uh, does it take? I assume it takes special kind of arrow to take down that kind of animal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, here, I live in Colorado, so <clears throat> hunting elk with uh, with a bow, they you know it's a big, it's a big boned animal, and that's something that, you know, you, it, it's it, archery requires practice, and and so it also requires you know you being a good hunter in the sense of being able to get that close. You know, you're getting fifty yards ish or closer, and so. Um, I grew up rifle hunting as a kid, and then and then I was like, man, I'd really like to try bow hunting. And then I and I when I switched over to archery, I was like, man, I love this. It's uh, it is such a, a challenging pursuit, um, and not that rifle hunting isn't. It it's still challenging for sure. It's just it's just a different challenge, and so I loved it. And then when we booked this trip, you know, I I obviously knew that. I've never shot an animal that that's been that big. And so uh, when I went to the archery shop, I had to get everything. I actually got everything new. My bow didn't have the, I didn't have an 80 pound draw bow. I only, my bow that I used here in, in North America went up to 70 pounds and I got an 80 pound uh, draw bow and also had to get used to that. And the arrows are so much bigger and and the broadheads are so much bigger. I mean, you're shooting like 800 grains of, of arrow broadhead and and you know the entire makeup of that of that setup is 800 plus grains. And you know when you for example, when you shoot an elk, you know that uh, those setups are you know four to six hundred grains. So you can you can imagine that um, the just the the difference and the diameter of those, arrows and just the weight of those and the and the whole thing is just it's very different and you know you you absolutely use a fixed broadhead and and so it's something that is is it's still archery hunting it's just you you're souping everything up and uh, because that animal is so much bigger and they have they're 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 really tough skin and they obviously hide and they obviously also their bone structure is very different in in the sense that their ribs overlap. And so um, you have to have something that's going to go through all of that and still hit vitals and, and take care of the job uh, right away. And so obviously people, and I'm not going to be the first one that's ever done that, um, uh, people have got out and, and, and shown that this is possible, uh, but it does take a lot of practice to figure out how, what setup works best and, and to have the right gear. I mean, how how dangerous is it though? Because you you hear about animals like that, and they're just terrifying, and they're always you know uh, on the defensive, willing to attack and stuff like that. How how dangerous is it for you guys? I assume you can't be out there on the jeep making all that noise. Like, what's the element of danger like? Yeah, so the it's a spot and stock hunt, so it's something that is uh, is is fair chase. You know, it's it, we're out there. Just like it would be elk hunting, essentially, where we're trying to find the animals, and once we find them, then we'd we'd spot them, of course, and then we'd stalk into within uh, bow range. And like I said, 50 yards ish, and or in closer is not that far from anything. And and so to get there is is a is a big feat, and then to 
stay cool and calm and, and actually execute a nice shot is, is a whole another feat. And so the, there is a danger factor because uh, Cape Buffalo are known for, you know, uh, being ferocious. And, and that's something that that's one of the reasons why I'm so drawn in it to, to them. It's so appealing is, is because of that. And um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I'm a thrill seeker at all. I just feel like there's such a cool challenge there that you, you would never experience otherwise. And so that's, that's one of the reasons why I want to go there. And, and you do have, you do have, um, you have to have a guide where, where we're going. And so that's the requirement for the, the spot we're going in South Africa. And uh, those guides do carry um, rifles. And, and so in, in some instance that you weren't able to put that, that Cape Buffalo down with, your bow and arrow and, and multiple shots, it didn't happen or something charged you, there is an option for them to be able to obviously protect everybody with those big, big game rifles. So that's, that's the secondary backup. But um, my hope is that just like any hunt I've ever been on practice and practice and practice and, and go, go make a uh, ethical shot and it's, it's lethal quickly. And, you know, a minute later we have uh we have a, a bunch of just amazing meat and that to share with the village it, it, we, you can't bring you can't bring any of the game over from it's not allowed from africa to the united states so that's that's not my rule that's just the that's the rules that they have been regulated between the us and africa um but the thing that is really cool and one of the reasons i i really am looking forward to this is because you the the villages uh, a lot of them to to get an animal like that is is life changing for them especially for the the meat that they can obtain and the bones and all the things that they the hide and all the things that they do with those animals and so to be able to ha eat it there and then also enjoy it with the village the village there or villages there and watch them continue to flourish and grow because of of that that that's something that's a cool part that's one of, that's a one of the cool parts for me is to is to be a part of that as well well i think that's the thing about hunting too a lot of people they hate the the trophy hunting and stuff like that but when you hear that you know people are bringing back the meat or in your case you guys can't bring it back but you still find a use for it and you find a use for the hide and stuff like that i feel like that that's what makes it worthwhile that's what makes it good like you know people might maybe frown upon hunting or something like that but in this case, you guys are doing something, you know, everything is done ethically. I mean, even hunting with the bow, you know, it goes back to sort of, you know, how the Native Americans and stuff like that were doing it. And you guys are still, you know, giving the meat back to people and it doesn't feel like anything goes to waste with, uh, you know, the way you guys are doing things. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny to me that that hunting gets the controversy that it gets given the environment that we live in. I mean, it's we have so many choices obviously for food nowadays but how many countless documentaries have we seen about the amount of trash that they try to feed us um especially when it comes to meat and to go out and and hunt something yourself i think i think the reason why there's controversy is because i think the killing is what people are after yeah um and to be honest, if you've ever done anything that has required any crazy amount of energy, whether it's a fight or a marathon or um, to go 
hunt elk with your with your bow or cape buffalo or something like that the process of the entire thing is is why you do it it's not just the result and so the other bonus when you go hunting is that when you when you shoot an animal you have the ability to provide that 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 meat for not only yourself but your family and friends and what else can you go do out there that that has that as an element and and so uh, the killing part to be honest is if you ask any hunter is um the lead up to it is is amazing because you're you're in the element you're in that animal's element and that's something that if you if you do get the opportunity to harvest an animal that means that you trick them in their element in the sense of not detecting you and their job is to detect you and so uh there's there's some there's a lot of there's a lot of good things that come from that uh spiritually and and just uh, you know the whole thing the killing part when when you walk up to an animal i've never you know i was raised that when we walk when we shoot an animal that you know we walk up to that animal and and we put the sign across on their forehead and we thank god for what was what was given to us and um there's some sadness there too for sure um but it it's um so it's not like it's not like it's just all joy like oh i killed something it's uh it's the entire process of getting there and and then the fulfillment of being able to provide uh like our ancestors did with with meat so so for for hunting to be a controversy or or people to frown upon that you know there's the same people wearing a leather belt and saying that it's not okay to uh to go hunt you know and so uh, or they have a leather couch or leather seats in their car or um there's a lot of things i mean even even people that eat um you know that don't eat meat for example there's a lot of animals that die when they go through those fields and and produce those crops uh, from those big combines or however they're getting the, the, that that source of food. And so uh, it's, uh, I, I've never understood that argument. It's uh, it's interesting because in France, especially the region where, where I'm from and I have my family, we have a lot of issues with uh, figuring out the balance <clears throat> between the animals, the hunting season. And, you know, the issue is either you're, they're hunting too many animals or not enough and there's an overpopulation. And the thing they started doing is sort of, you know, breeding these animals in captivity like pheasants, for example, and then there's like a season where they release them for the hunting season. But it's interesting because, you know, there's a certain balance where you can do things right. And, you know, this region in particular, we haven't been able to do things right. It's like you have way too much and they eat everything and it creates a problem. Or there, there's not enough in this case and then you have to go out and you have to try to breed more. It's, you know, it's definitely an interesting thing, and especially with the farming where, you know, farming is the reason that a lot of uh, animals have had issues and there's uh, extinction and stuff like that, too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's funny you bring up pheasant hunting. I'm actually going pheasant hunting here in Colorado on Thursday, and nice. and those are all those are all wild birds that have been. Obviously, pheasant aren't from North America. They're actually back in the day they're brought over from China, and uh, but they flourished in in uh, the U.S. in certain parts of the U.S. And so in eastern Colorado, it's it's uh, it's always been. Well, not always, but for a long time, it's been really good hunting out there. And it's funny because, you know, my son, my, I, have a, I have a daughter and a son. My daughter's older. My son's 13. 
Uh, my daughter's never been interested in hunting, um, but my son has always been interested in it. And I've taken him out since he was four years old. And you know, you know what he rarely talks about? The animals that were killed. You know, he mostly talks about the entire uh, process of of just going out there and being together and enjoying the elements of nature and doing all that stuff. And and also teaching teaching him how to do this, you know, how how to how to be gun safety and how to uh, respect people's uh, properties and how to um, navigate the mountains without without GPS and all these skills that that I feel are imperative to helping grow an individual, whether they're a, a, a man or a woman. But those are the things, those are the memories that they look at. They, you know, you remember, you remember the, you remember the animals, but you, but most of the time you remember all the, the whole process of what it took to, that's what really what you look back at and remember, you know, it's kind of like fighting when, when guys retire, one of the things they miss the most is the camaraderie in the locker room and, and that whole thing. They, they miss that. It's not that they don't remember fights in the past. They remember some, but the thing they miss the most is the camaraderie with the fellowship and, and the, the team and the group and the whole thing. I think hunting is a lot like that. It's a, it's interesting we talk about pheasants because during quarantine, I spent a good chunk of it in France with my grandparents and I'm walking around their property there on the country. And uh, I see these little black furry things run across. There's a ton of them. And I'm thinking, you know, what is it? <laughs> and I see a, a pheasant, you know, go off into the woods and there's actually two of them. And, you know, and one of them stops by my foot, I pick it up. And it's this little, you know, this black chick, it's a, it's a pheasant chick. And I was like, I, you know, I didn't even know that existed. It, you know, this soft little furry thing in my right. hand, it was fascinating. I don't think that's something a lot of people can say that it, they have experienced. No, not at all. Are you, uh, do you speak French? Yeah, I'm, I'm fluent. I just got back there from, uh, you know, I wasn't, I was in college there. Now I'm back in the States, but yeah, I'm fluent. Well, that's awesome. Are you, um, are you originally from there or are you from the States? No, I'm, that's, that's where I'm from. Don't, don't let the accent fool you. That's from, uh, you know, moving to the States as a little kid, but yeah, with my, my family, you know, we, <laughs> we, we chase the, we chase the American dream, you know, and now, uh, and now we see it. I don't want to say paint it off, but you know, we're, we're part of the country now. No, it's awesome, man. Uh, that's good. Good to hear, and it's uh, it's a cool, it's a cool deal for sure. For sure, you you mentioned the the camaraderie for the fighters and stuff like that. Is that something you see a lot? Is you know the fighters that when they retire, they they lose that sense of purpose. You know, you always hear athletes like you spend your whole life building up to it, and then it's like you know your late thirties, forties, and then all of a sudden you have no purpose. You know, you're done with the sport, and it's like you know that's where a lot of guys start to struggle. Yeah, it's one of the hardest transitions for them to go through. It's, um, you know, I it's it's tough actually. You know, they they, in order to be great at fighting, you got to sacrifice everything to be great at fighting. And so, you know, and most all these guys that I train, they're young, and so, you know, they see their friends out there making especially at the beginning you know these these fighters don't make anything they're they're practically starving and that's any any pro sport for you i mean coming up is is something that's really tough but the ones that are left are the are the ninjas you know and so those guys those guys 
have to devote everything that they've got to fighting and especially if they want to go make a living like like in the ufc go go enjoy their time period that they can in there and go maximize their opportunity um with their platform financially you know the whole thing chasing dreams and and all that so um when they do that it's they they sacrifice everything that is presently in front of them but to be honest with you if you think about it uh, let's say say a fighter retires in his late 30s they're not old they're old for sports they're old for pro sports but they're not old so you know they they they've learned a lot i I feel like they can take all the stuff they've learned on the mat and in the cage and all that and go be really productive outside of of fighting it's just it's hard you're never going to replace the thrill of winning a fight you know that's that you and and to feel to feel the the losses like they do it's almost like someone dies that's how that's how losses feel so the the major swings of emotions from from fighting uh, especially the highs that's that's what they're always chasing is you're not going to replace sorry we back there sorry yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) uh you're not going to replace that and so they they have to find i always encourage them to continue to train that's something that some of them do some of them don't i feel like the outlet of training continues to keep them sane and and it does still keep the camaraderie around now i'm not saying train like they would train if they were still in the ufc but you know come around a couple times a week and still see the boys and and have some fun and and train you know uh, not not even spar but you know maybe come roll or come come full spar a little bit on your feet or something like that you know and so um the ones that do that seem to seem to transition better the ones that completely leave the sport uh either have transitioned so great that they found something they love and they're just devoting every all their attention to that or they're a little bit lost and they're like man it's uh it's i'm trying i'm still chasing trying to find what i want to do and that's a it's a it's a lonely feeling it's a tough deal uh, i always uh, i always feel for them when we get to that point in their career i mean two guys who clearly have their their future sort of mapped out or at least have a bright future is you know the two of your fighters james kraus clearly with his coaching and stuff like that you can see you know and, and even now it's like he's he's doing it now and he's excellent at it and we see the bright future Anthony Smith too. I think as we're speaking, I think he's doing his radio show with SiriusXM or something like that. Like you have, you know, just off the top of my head, two guys right there who clearly have the future mapped out away from actually competing in the cage, and yet they're still competing. Like it's it's definitely you admire guys that are able to figure out their future and continue to not only continue fighting at a high level, but doing the stuff outside of fighting for their future at a high level as well. Yeah, you know, it, it's I I the the thing about those two is that they've been very open about who they are and what their goals are for fighting. And you know, Kraus is Kraus obviously um has his own gym in Kansas City. Um and he's doing an amazing job as a coach there. Uh, obviously I train him. I'm his head coach when when he fights and um I've always tried to mentor and help him when it comes to 
navigating those waters uh, as a coach. Uh, I, I, I've never, I didn't have a mentor a, as a coach. You know, I, I've had to figure it out and, and do it the wrong way a lot to figure out what the better way is. And so <clears throat> to get an opportunity to, to help someone out like Kraus is, is a big deal. And he's, he's already, he's, he's going to be in a phenomenal coach. I mean, he's, he's already doing a great job. It's, uh, it's, it's one of his callings. He's, he's really good at it and he enjoys it. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I've asked him to help me corner some of my guys in, in the past. It, it, I really enjoy his company and he and I learn a lot from each other. Uh, I absolutely am his head coach when he's fighting and he'll take that, that hat off and let me lead him, which is another great attribute uh, about him. Uh, and he wants to be led. That's the thing. He wants to be coached. And and you can't coach someone that doesn't want to be coached. And he still wants to be coached. And and so that's a that's a cool deal. But yeah, he's paved a way to be able to, you know, make a living outside of just fighting. And and he still loves it. He's still staying entrenched in the sport. Uh, that's the same for Anthony. You know, Anthony is just looking at a different path. He's he's obviously on the broadcast with the UFC and ESPN. He has his own radio show. Uh, he's still staying entrenched in fighting as well. I think those two guys that you bring up, they've been fighting for so damn long. Uh, they don't know any any different, you know? And uh, they just told us when Anthony won that that was his 50th pro fight on Saturday night, which none of us actually realized that that's what it was. Uh, and so... It's cool to it's cool to see these guys that that are that are experts in in this field in MMA and and obviously have navigated the the most competitive uh, league in MMA and being in being the UFC and being successful there. Those guys have figured out a way to stay there. They didn't just get there. They figured a way out to stay there and actually make some some real money and and create big opportunities for themselves and you know the platform that anthony has created for himself with with fighting has given him an alternative option uh when one day fighting is done for him and uh i love it man that that's the thing such a huge smile to my face to see these guys grow and and and, and one of these days when fighting is done for both of those guys um i'm super confident that they'll both have amazing futures inside of the sport still because and isn't that the cool part about fighting is that that platform that they chased that dream that they were after in the ufc has created a platform for them to go make a living after and it, that i mean that that in itself is a success story so that's something that's really cool to see and i'm just i'm just really proud to to you know be able to coach those two guys and and call them my athletes and and you know we we've become closer than just you know coach athlete i consider those guys friends and 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 that's something that you know one of the reasons why we continue to grow is because uh we feed off of each other uh and and bounce ideas off each other and continue to evolve and grow in this this ever changing sport that we're in I mean, do you as a coach, do you get worried when you see like, you know, we mentioned those two fighters, obviously they're great at juggling their fight career as well as stuff outside of it. But do you get worried when you see guys 
you know, start to have too much going on outside the cage and it, it like might pull their focus. Like, you know, Ronda Rousey, for example, the big talk with her is people are saying, you know, she's going to Hollywood. She's doing too much with acting. Tyron Woodley got a lot of people coming after him because they felt he was more into his rap music than fighting, you know, and whether that's true or not, it, it you know, probably isn't. But for you as a coach, do you have to watch out that guys are, you know, staying focused and not getting too entrenched in, you know, whatever it is outside of fighting? Uh, yes, there, there's absolutely got to be a line there. Uh, Anthony and I actually just talked about it recently. And, you know, what he did for this fight, this last fight uh, against Devin Clark in the preparation is cut out um, a lot of his obligations that he's had in the past. And as I said, I want to focus on the thing. You know, the thing that, the that thing obviously being preparation, preparing the fight and then the fight. You know, I want to focus on the thing, the thing in front of me. And... So I think it could be done. I mean, I, I, you've seen DC do it. You know, DC's had an amazing career and still gone and commentated. But one of the things that DC did that Anthony and I actually just recently talked about was he would shut down those obligations at, at some time period to give him enough time period to focus on the thing that mattered. And that, that was the task at hand to get prepared and then go win a fight. So... I feel like if you're, I feel like if you're honest and open to each other about that stuff and say, Hey coach, you know, there's got a lot of obligation, obligations going on right now. Uh, what's your thoughts? Or here's my thought about what I have coming up and, and uh, what do you think? And if we have that type of communication, we can, we can navigate through that together. And then you don't, you don't potentially fall into some of those pitfalls, or maybe you fall into the pitfalls and then look back and go, shit, um, this is taking our focus away and, and let's, let's focus on the thing that matters. And, and that's the preparation in the fight and just put this other stuff on the back burner temporarily, because we still want to have it intact for them. You know, I get it as a fighter. You don't, you, you're not going to fight until you're 65 years old. So, you know, it's, you, you need to have other opportunities. It's just, can you navigate through the waters of, of preparing and then being conscious to back burner some of this stuff so that you can go be successful in the cage. That's the most delicate juggle that these guys face, pro athletes face. Obviously fighters are, is what we're talking about, but any pro athlete, they, they, that's the delicate juggle that they have. And, and so the ones that learn how to navigate that the best and also give themselves the opportunity to, um, still make a, a living uh, past the fighting, those are the guys that go on and stay entrenched in the sport that they're in and then go on and create a, a legacy in a different way out after they use the platform that they were on to get all of that. So being that I'm part of the media, I do have to ask this. For, for my own curiosity, but, you know, I do a lot of pre-fight interviews with fighters. For you as your coach, do you ever see a point where, you know, fighters are doing like, you know, too many interviews before fights and it's gotten to the point where even some of the narratives that get created, because you know how it happens, you say a quote, maybe you don't like a guy and all of a sudden there's a beef nobody knew existed. Do you see a point where that hurts fighters almost? Like maybe they're doing too much media and it's, you know, maybe taken away from camp, taken away from fight and, you know, even creating narratives that, you know, are, are taken away from everything you guys are doing, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah, no, I think I think there's got to be a fine balance of of all of this, and I think that's where good management comes in. I, you know, the, your manager and their team needs to help you navigate through some of that. 
the fighter needs to know when to pull back and say, hey, this is just becoming really distracting. Uh, the media needs to be more responsible uh, when it comes to this stuff as well. I mean, I have a journalism degree. You know, I, I wrote for the Rocky Mountain News as a general reporter. I hated every minute of that job. I didn't like any of it. Um, but but I did I did go and study journalism in in college. And you know, one of the one of the things that one of the steadfast rules is to uh, report facts and be unbiased. And with the platforms we have today, uh, I, I'm not sure that that some of these the media people have even heard that um, or, or even know that that's a thing. And, and so um, <clears throat> I think there's a responsibility on the media side, too, to check sources and confirm things and um, understand that if a fighter says, hey, I, I can't do this interview to not to not then be upset or or, you know, put nonsense into a, a caption or a clickbait to where um, they're upset because they didn't get the interview with said guy, right? And so I think there's a responsibility uh, uh, amongst everybody involved. Can there be too much? Yes, there can. Um, and sometimes I'll tell you, w one of the biggest complaints I hear from fighters is that the media asks, they all ask the same questions. Yeah. And, yeah. and so... You know, if you do if you do uh, five interviews today, you feel like you could have just done one because you right. got asked all the same questions. What was the preparation like? What do you think of your opponent? Uh, blah blah blah. It's all the same stuff. I think the guy, I think the guy, the media guys that go past the the base questions and actually ask some things that, or or do research on what makes these guys tick. I think that's how they then make their name is, is what do you know about this guy that most people don't know? And, and can you get him to talk about that? And if you can, then that's something that will shine. It'll shine out for not only the fighter, uh, but it also shine out for the media member. And, and then that that's information that is valuable for the audience because they're like, Oh man, I didn't know that. Or, that's an interesting thing, or I disagree with that, or I agree with that. But the, the, the cool part is, is that you got that out. So the question was, is there too much of it? Potentially it's, it's up to the, it's up to the management team and it's up to the athlete to be honest about it. And some, they have obligations contractually to do and some they're doing because let's be honest at some point, you're not going to be doing this anymore. And are people going to still want to talk to you? Uh, the answer to that is no, probably. And because people move on, that's just how we are. So, you know, take advantage of that. Take advantage of your platform. Take advantage of growing your platform so that you can catapult yourself into other careers, potentially, like what we just talked about with Anthony and James and some of these other guys that have done phenomenal jobs of of, of getting other platforms <clears throat> involved or other things involved because of their platform. So, uh, yes, there can be, uh, it's just, there has to be some transparency there from the athletes so that as a coach or, or as a manager, 
we can then help navigate some of those waters and shut some of it down or add some because they're not getting enough of, of that. And so there, it could be a little tricky there sometimes. And it's interesting you bring up the journalism degree because I feel like there's a lot of people that, you know, when they have the degrees and stuff and they take a look at the MMA media, a lot of them are like, whoa, what are you guys doing? I think a lot of people criticize the lack of professionalism. And it's interesting you bring up the being unbiased because I feel like sometimes there's a, you know, when I see guys put up like here, my top 10 favorite fighters, or, you know, I'm really hoping for this guy. And it's like, you know, if you're part of the media, like you have to take off that fan hat and you have to be able to just analyze what's happening and without being biased. I mean, is that something you see a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, people that start to take on the favorite fighters, start to take sides when in reality, you know, you have that role of just, just analyze it and, you know, you know, report things as they are. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sitting here saying that we don't have any good media in MMA. I'd be, no, for, I'd for be sure. lying if I said that. I, I think what happens is is everyone wants to get theirs, and at what cost do you do that? And so, um, do you bend the truth a little bit? Do you do you put up a, a headline or or clickbait that is, you know? off or wrong or right how do you how do you navigate that and so that that's always my question is is and and look I, this is how i feel if you feel one way about something or someone great and if you want to go out and say that awesome but still have a consistent feeling when you get in front of the said person or when you when you talk about that person again don't waver don't waver. If that's your thought about that person, then don't waver. You know, you can't say they suck one day and they're great the next. Doesn't that doesn't make sense? That that just means that you're that you're 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 being very fair weather when it comes to reporting. You know, uh, if 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 you say something about somebody, then stick to it. Stick to it. <laughs> or if you're if you made a mistake in that comment, then own up to it. Right. And so um, I think that the, the platform of, of which that we all have has to be navigated very delicately. And it also there's a lot of responsibility there for all of us involved and uh, the fighters, the, the coaches, the media, everybody included, uh, you know, the promoters, everyone that's that's involved in this. It's it's very important that we we understand all of that. And to be honest, man, if you feel one way, I think one of the reasons why people like Dana White so much, uh, and why they also hate him, some some people, is the dude's at least honest. <laughs> yeah. And I love that about him. Like I love that about him. At least he's honest. Doesn't bullshit you. If he thinks it's messed up, he'll tell you. If if you know, and I love that stuff. And it's at least you know where the guy stands, you know. So, uh, and some people don't like that because they think that's pompous or whatever they want to say. Um, but I love that about about him. He's he's very forthright about his convictions and beliefs, and and doesn't take a lot of shit. And and will say uh, out loud that hey, this is this is this is how I feel. And Man, I love that. That that's a that's something that I, I respect a lot. 
there's a lot of people in the group chat that want to know about the future of uh, two fighters, and uh, so you know I have to ask for the for the people, right? For, first things first, though, a lot of there's a lot of talk, and I know a lot of it was. Hey, we have by, a we have a group chat. Well, it's uh, the YouTube comments. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's go. Let's go. So people want to know about uh, your fighter James Kraus because you know we know the big thing in the media right now is we're we're seeing interviews with uh, Jokin Buckley. We're seeing interviews with James Kraus, and there's clearly some heat going on, and it seems like there's a future in this fight. You know, obviously the stuff happened in St. Louis. You're in Colorado, so I'm sure you, you know, you've heard this stuff, right? But is that a realistic fight? Is that a fight people can expect, or is that just kind of a, a fun story that's going around? Well, I think there's a lot of factors there. Um, you got to, you got to. For the fans, just look at some facts real quick. Number one, they're not in the same weight class. That's the first thing, okay? Number one. Number two, um, just look at the business end. Look at the business end of the UFC, okay? You have a young up-and-coming guy that's making some waves in the headlines with his performances in the cage. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, he's finished his last two opponents. He did, he did impressively in both, both performances uh, recently. He's got a lot of steam behind him. Do they, does, the, does the machine of the business of the UFC then want to go put said young comer, up and comer with a lot of steam behind him in front of a 50 plus fight veteran um, at a different weight class just because they have a off the mat beef? Uh, from the business side, it doesn't make a lot of sense because if, if you think about it, uh, if if Buckley lost, they lose a ton of steam that he's built, and um, you're 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 potentially putting him in some deep waters with a veteran that has been around for a long time and has shown that he's savvy as fuck when it comes to um, to fighting. And so, I think when you look at those two factors, it's it's just a lot of talk because. Um, if there was, if the if the UFC was interested in booking this fight, don't you think I would have heard about it by now? Because if there's ever time for this fight to be booked, it would be now. Uh, the UFC has not called myself or Jason House, who's Krause's manager. They haven't called us one time and said, "You guys interested in this fight?" And uh, if there's ever a time to book this fight, it'd be now, right? So yeah. uh, I think I think that's the that's the issue is. You've got those two factors. Number one, they're not in the same weight class. And number two, the business of, of growing and building fighters, it doesn't make a lot of sense business-wise. And so uh, I, know, I know the fans are like, hey, you two are beefing. Let's see who can win. No, I don't blame the fans. And listen, if the, U if the UFC said, hey, do you guys want this? And, and are you guys interested in taking this fight? If it made sense for for us, yeah, we take the fight of the day. We we've we've shown in the past that we haven't ducked anything, and so uh, there it's not a, it's not about ducking a fight. It's about that the fight's not even been offered from the people that matter, and that's the that's the UFC. And I think the two factors, major factors there, are those two things that I just explained. And so, uh, last one, we'll let you go. I mean, you've been very generous with your time, and I really appreciate it. Uh, Anthony Smith coming off the big win that y'all must have forgot, uh, you know, appearance, of course, shout out to Roy Jones Jr. But what's next for him at this point? I assume we're talking like some kind of big contenders fight, some kind of, uh, 
you know, something to go out there and show people that he's still a contender, and especially at 205, get right back in there in the title picture. Well, I think what's next for him is to uh, enjoy enjoy his victory for a second. Um, winning is hard to come by. Uh, winning is not easy to do, and and you have to enjoy winning because he was just on the other side of it less than a week ago of of not being on a win, and and that feeling sucks. And so enjoy a win. Um, you know, get another fight that that makes sense for uh, us and him and obviously go rattle a few more off and put a put a nice little streak together and go fight for the title again you know that's the that's the whole goal he's shown that he's capable of doing it um the people that have written him off um thank you because that's been a bunch of motivation for all of us um I know, I know who he's about and what's he, what he's about. Uh, we've seen as, as coaches and as fans what he's capable of doing. Uh, it's just a matter of him going and putting another streak together so that he can go back to the pinnacle of the sport and that's fight for that world title. And so the goal is to fight for another world title and win it this time. And in order to do that, we got to go put a nice little streak together again, like we've done and shown that we've, we can do and we've done that in the past. So, uh, you know, that what's next, let's go win a couple more fights and then, and then go knock on that door to go fight for another title. <laughs> All right, there we go. Lots of good stuff. Lots of things to unpack. Uh, for la last thing though, let the people know, where can we find you on social media? And if you have anything you need or want to promote in this case, uh, now would be the time. Uh, yeah, you could find me. Coach Mark Montoya is is where you find me on Instagram. That's uh, that's actually me uh, on there answering all of that stuff. It's not someone doing it for me. So uh, if you want to interact with me, that's a, that's a great place to find me. And yeah, you know, one of the things I would say is we've talked a lot about <clears throat> Anthony and James in this um, this podcast, but. It's been an amazing year for us as a gym. We've had we've had a lot of up and comers come into the UFC this year and and make a make a name for themselves and and uh, get off with a great start. Uh, a lot of those guys like Brandon Royval, um, Yusuf Zalal, you know, Jonathan Martinez, Chris Gutierrez, uh, you know, Vince Cachero, uh, Colin Anglin, uh, Dustin Jacoby back in the UFC. I, Devontae Smith is back actually this week um, from his Achilles injury that he's been out for a year now, you know, and so um, all those guys that that are that are the new the new breed of of UFC fighters that we've produced, I think it's important to to just give give them recognition. And I'm sure I've forgotten a couple, but. Uh, um, and that's my fault because I'm doing this off the cusp, but, uh, or excuse me off the cuff, but I, um, the, the thing that I want to say is that the, the amount of, of just sacrifice that, that not just those guys, but the new wave of guys that you guys have no idea who their names are yet. And you will one day, the, 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 the amount of talent we have in there with guys like Alex Mark, uh, Hernandez and, uh, uh, Luigi Vandramini and, 
you know, all of those guys that, that we've got in there, Cody Brundage and, 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 you know, all these guys that are just coming up and making a name for themselves. And they're that new, new wave of MMA fighter that they've done nothing but train MMA. You know, when you look at Brandon Royval or any of those guys I just mentioned, those guys have come up training MMA. They, they're not a, they're not just a one art specialist, you know? And so it's fun to watch this new breed of athlete. And I, I just want to, I want to commend those guys that have, that have made waves this year. And I also want to um, just give a lot of credit to our coaching staff. Our coaching staff has done a phenomenal job. I couldn't, I couldn't do any of this stuff without them. Um, we have, we have one of the most amazing coaching staffs you can find uh, in this world. And, and same with our team and, and our support, our support staff is, is, so instrumental from uh, our internal support staff at the gym and then also our support staff at home you know uh, all of these fighters wives and girlfriends and parents and and you know family and all these people that support us uh without without that support it's 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 not possible you know and so uh, i say all this because um, I always say this because I, I feel like it's true and I know it's true is that the, the real superstars in these stories and in all of this is are the people whose names you have no idea about those people that are in the background. And those are the people that that matter. Those are the real superstars, my wife, my two kids. Those are the real superstars. Those are the people that are sacrificing their time away from me so that I can go give my time to someone else. Um, and doing it with a smile, not bitching and complaining. And all these, all these wives that, that do the same and, and, and you know, uh, husbands or who, who, whatever it is, that part right there, there's not enough credit given there because, because without that support, none of this is possible. So I just want to make sure that I acknowledge those people because those people matter the most and we wouldn't be having this conversation if my wife wasn't okay with waiting for me to eat dinner right now and uh and do this interview with you and and just knowing that this is just part of it so um i want to make sure that they get the most praise because that's that's really who the superstars are of this entire story for sure uh, there we go thank you so much for the time sir i really appreciate it and thank you to, for the time to your wife and uh, all, the, all those other people waiting on you too you're welcome, man. I appreciate you doing that this uh, together and keep up the great work. Let me know in the future if I can help you. I'd love to come back on or if you need if you need some of my fighters to come on and help support you, uh, you know, let me know and, and I'll get you in contact with them. And we'd, we'd love to help you continue to grow as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's really great to hear. Thanks so much. I, I really appreciate that. I genuinely do. Absolutely, man. Have a great night and thank you again. Thank you, sir.